Good morning, Blackman Baptist Church. We're here today, uh, just a few of us, less than 10, <laughs> substantially less than 10, and keeping our distance from each other. But we're here uh, to, to lead an online worship time for us. Um, today is April the 19th. Um, it's our sixth Sunday meeting apart. Meeting apart. And that's kind of an oxymoron to say it that way, but it's kind of exactly what we're doing. And we've spoken with, with most of you, and that's a, that's a sweet thing that we can stay in touch, but it really isn't quite the same as being together. And we look forward so much to actually being together, back together when it's the right time for us to do that. Um, there's so much in the news right now about when and how that will happen. There are major questions in play about, about the power of government to help and to control, about the rights of citizens to move and assemble freely. These things are bubbling up all around us. And also the, the obligation of citizens to act in ways that are responsible and not put others at risk. There are questions about risk. How much risk can we tolerate or should we tolerate? These times are testing our patience. They're testing our knowledge, uh, testing our ability to control our situation. We were chatting this morning before Sunday school that God challenges our idols. And I think that we have an idol of science. And we, we think that science has all the answers. Well, science is good. It's a gift. But it doesn't have all the answers all the time. Um, and we're learning that right now. Uh, the best science that we have is extremely incomplete. So we have to act on limited knowledge. Um, we, we're being tested right now that we don't control our situation. We just don't. But who does? We know who does. These times are testing our governments at every level, local to the federal. Uh, these times are testing our political system and our press. They're testing leaders, teachers, business owners, law enforcers, medical workers, managers, employees, pastors, and parents all being tested. Some of us hold several of these roles, and we're being tested. How will we respond to this test? James opened his letter to us by saying, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. We are being tested. Will we, will we respond with fear or courage? Will we respond with spite or grace, with rage or patience? Will we demand our rights or will we seek the good of our neighbors first? And this last question is not easy to answer, is it? Because insisting on liberties might sometimes be for the good of our neighbors, but true liberty is not simply doing whatever you want, whenever you want. True liberty in Christ is being free to do what God has called you to do. And we still believe that it is appropriate to meet apart, given all that we know, again, which is limited. And our government has asked that no large gatherings occur in business, entertainment, or religious meetings. They're not singling out the churches for persecution. They're, they're trying to use their limited knowledge and their limited power, limited resources to protect the people of the state. We believe that they're acting in good faith, and, and so we honor that. It's easy to get caught up in all the news cycle and what the government is doing or should have done, should not have done. Remember that as powerful as the government is, it is not God. God is in control. Whether you recognize it or not, He has not gone to sleep. 
He didn't miss this virus like a goalie trying his best, but just not quite making it in time. He is allowing this for now. Is it a trial to test and strengthen us? Is it a judgment to punish? Is it God allowing Satan to have his way for a time like he did with Job? We know from scriptures that all these things are are in God's possible plans. But please pray with us that God will have mercy, that he will grow our faith to produce endurance and maturity, that he will sustain us, build us, and strengthen his church, that he'll protect our community, our state, our country. Pray that he will bless our leaders with wisdom at every level. They need that. Our God is a God who can turn the hearts of kings as he chooses. He can grant wisdom even where it wasn't earned or even sought. He can start plagues of judgment or he can turn them aside. He can allow Satan to test us as he did with Job, with disease, financial loss, and all kinds of misery. Pray that we as a people will humble ourselves so that God doesn't need to do it for us. Let's pray before we look into the Word today. Father, be with us. Bless our community, I pray, our state and our nation, not because we deserve it, but because you are merciful. Give us patience, give us wisdom, give us courage and strength in our faith. And as we look into your word this morning, teach us, change our hearts, because it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Now, we're going to be in Luke 4 this morning, and for those of you that joined us for Sunday school, a lot of familiar concepts, a lot of fresh ideas uh, are going to be on your mind, and probably some things that sound familiar to you, but that's okay. Um, this is a really, really powerful passage of Scripture as we look into the temptation of Jesus by the, de- by the devil himself. Remarkable passage. As context, and we talked about this in Sunday school briefly, but right before this happens, we're going to start talking about Jesus being tempted. Right before this, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Um, it's an immediate following in, in the timeline here that he was baptized and then he went into the wilderness by the guidance of the Spirit, to be tempted. And uh, Kevin made the point in Sunday school this morning I thought was so powerful that you know Jesus is our, is our last Adam. He is the Adam that sets things right instead of the Adam that, that messes things up. But he's also the ultimate realization of Israel. And where Israel came through the waters and then was tested in the wilderness, Jesus came through the waters of baptism and was tested in the wilderness. But where Israel failed the test, Jesus passed the test. We're going we're gonna to walk through that this morning. So from Luke 4, 1 through 13, if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open it up and then I'll read. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority, because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, 
it is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed him for a time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for an outline today, I have three points. The three points are, Jesus defeated temptation by relying on the word of God. We spent a lot of time talking about that in Sunday school. Jesus defeated temptation by relying on the word of God. Jesus defeated temptation to prepare himself as a sacrifice. And third, Jesus defeated temptation so that you can have power over sin. Now, Jesus defeated temptation by relying on the Word of God. This is just remarkable to think about. Jesus, the Son, God in the flesh, also called the Word by God, by John. This Jesus is going to use Scripture memory verses to spar with the beautiful, intelligent, and powerful fallen angel, Satan, Lucifer, the tempter. Just picture this in your mind for a moment. I mean, the the cosmic battle that's happening here can't be overstated. It, it really can't be exaggerated. The power that is that is in play and in conflict in this scene. At one point, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from, from heaven like lightning. So Jesus remembers who he's dealing with. Satan, the accuser, not a mythical character. He's a creature of God. But he wants to be in God's place. So the drama here is this. Satan's entire problem is that he wishes he was God. He wants to sit on God's throne. He knows he can't. But he wants to spite God by destroying as much of God's goodness as he can. Now we don't know exactly what Satan understood about Jesus' mission. We knew, or he knew, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. We know that because the demons recognized Jesus whenever he went to drive them out. So clearly Satan knew that too. But did he understand what Jesus' mission was to be the sacrifice? I don't know. Uh, that's not completely clear to me. C.S. Lewis, in his Narnia stories, he paints this picture of, of Satan being outsmarted, basically. That uh, he symbolizes Satan with the white witch. He symbolizes Jesus as Aslan the lion. And what happens in the story is that he paints this. The white witch has the lion killed. And she thinks she wins by doing that. But what happens then is she, she ends up fulfilling prophecy that she was not aware of. And there's a deeper magic that comes into play. That's the, that's the phrase that C.S. Lewis uses, a deeper magic. We're not talking about magic. That's a, an analogy, a, a metaphor that C.S. Lewis used to try to, to understand what was going on with Satan and Jesus in this time. But we don't know exactly what was in Satan's mind. But we can clearly see that if Satan could successfully tempt Jesus to sin, it would undermine and destroy whatever mission Jesus did have. And that's what he was trying to do. Undermine Jesus' mission, whatever that was. So now Jesus has been in the desert for 40 days without food. To say he is hungry would be an understatement. He is human. He knows pain and he knows discomfort. He needs food to sustain his body. So Satan suggests... If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He's a sly one, isn't he? Is it wrong to eat? Of course not. Is it wrong for Jesus to use his power to miraculously produce bread? Of course not. He will soon be doing exactly that. Remember that he fed the 5,000 by a miracle. He produced bread. So what's wrong here? Why is this a temptation? 
Because now is the time for Jesus to have his obedience tested. Remember that he is the last Adam. He is, he is the representative of mankind before God. Can he obey or will he not obey? That's the question. The Spirit has led him into the desert specifically for this. And Satan, whether he likes it or not, is part of the plan. Will Jesus care more about obedience than he cares about meeting his own physical needs? Will Jesus try to rationalize disobedience because obedience doesn't seem reasonable at the moment? He's hungry after all. Jesus' answer, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm quoting there from Matthew. It's the full quote from Moses. Luke, abbreviate, Luke abbreviates the quote, but it comes from Deuteronomy, Moses' final sermon to Israel. And he's reminding them that God fed them day to day to cause them to remember that food itself is not primarily what sustains us. We exist day to day, moment to moment, because of God's sustaining word. And if he withdraws that, we are done. That's it. Jesus, in his weakened physical condition, in his hunger, is living by faith in God's sustaining promise. The next temptation, then Satan took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and offered to give it to him if he would only worship him. Now this is interesting. Jesus has willingly given up the splendor of heaven itself to come down and take on flesh. But at this point, he, he at this point is a human, a man. And he is not right at this moment ruling from the safety, the comfort, and the power of heaven. He has let that go willingly to come and depend on his Father for sustenance and protection as a human, as a man. So now Satan offers him any and all worldly power. What do you want, Jesus? It's mine to give you. Now, it's fair, to, it's fair to ask, is this even a promise that Satan can keep? Because we know God allows Satan some power on the earth. Jesus speaks of the world as being under the power of Satan when he talks about coming like a thief to bind a strong man. He's talking about Satan. But at the same time, he is offering it. We know that Satan is a liar, so it may be false. could be a trick. We know he mixes truth into his lies, so maybe he can deliver part partially. Either way, the price is simply too high. Jesus' response, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Jesus quotes Moses. There's no debate. There's no weighing of pros and cons. There's no looking at this situation and seeing what are, what are the possible benefits of me taking this offer. Jesus, as the last Adam, as the perfect representative of Israel, is going to obey God's word. Now finally, Satan takes it up a notch. He escalates the game here. If Jesus wants to quote Scripture, Satan can play that game too. He reminds Jesus that Psalm 91 promises the Messiah will get special attention, special protection from God, that he's going to assign a detail of angels to protect. Their responsibility will be to watch over and protect this Messiah from any harm, even stubbing his toe on a rock, right? Satan is reminding him, Look at this privilege that you've been given. If you're really the son of God, you can do whatever you want and nothing can hurt you. So let's go up on the top of this tall temple. Just jump off because you'll be fine. And Jesus' answer again, quoting Deuteronomy, quoting Moses, do not test the Lord your God. 
I love this answer here because in one in one sense he's just following his pattern. He knows the scripture, he knows what's right as a man, and he quotes it back to Satan. But this has double power, right? Jesus is the perfect man. He's holding on to God's word. He's the perfect Jew holding on fast to Moses' law. And he's saying, God is gracious, he's generous, and he is kind. His promises are amazing, but they are not for humans to demand. He cannot be obligated to us so that we can demand anything from him. To do this is presumptuous and it's sinful. Exactly the attitude of Satan. Give me what I want and demand right now. What Jesus is also saying, I am God. It's time for you to stop testing me. And guess what happens? Satan got the hint. He left. I love that he says, do not test the Lord your God. And it means two things by it. The first, I'm not going to test God the Father and his promises of protection. And the second, Satan, I was there when you fell from heaven. Get lost. Pretty, pretty amazing. Our principle here, from these temptations, Jesus defeated temptation by relying on God's word. And let me ask you, if scripture memories or memory verses are good enough for Jesus to go one-on-one with Satan, do you think they might have value to you? You think it might be worth committing some time and energy to get scripture embedded in your head? Oh man, yes. Do you think you can trust these words? Even when your circumstances are uncomfortable, dangerous or frightening? Jesus did. Have you ever been as uncomfortable and or as much danger or as much reason for being scared as Jesus was? I'd say I haven't been. Probably most of us haven't. These words are valuable in no matter what situation we, we find ourselves in. If they're good enough for Jesus, they are good enough for us. Section two, Jesus defeated temptation to prepare himself as a sacrifice. The scripture teaches us that Jesus was sinless. He literally did not commit sin. The opening lesson of our series in this, this uh, Gospel Project series talked about Jesus as the last Adam. In Romans, Paul tells us that sin and death entered the world through one man, Adam, and that through one man, Jesus, righteousness has come. Hebrews 4.15, Rhonda mentioned this this morning, tells us that he was sinless, though tempted in every way. Now, why does Scripture confirm over and over again, different authors, different contexts, that Jesus was sinless? Why is it important? Well, it gets to the root of the gospel itself. Because Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. The price of sin is death. If Jesus had his own sin to pay for, he could not afford to buy yours and mine. Because he did not have his own sin to pay for, his death could be a ransom for many. A payment in full for the debts of many sinners. Remember that this happened just after his baptism, which happened shortly after John identified him as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. He knew that he had to be the last Adam who defeated temptation. He knew that he had to be the spotless, flawless, sinless Lamb. Jesus defeated temptation so that he could pay for your sins. He suffered twice, once under the temptation of Satan and then again under the torture of crucifixion. But he did this for the joy of redeeming the ones he loves. And how do you respond to such love, to such dedication? To let comfort go? 
to let temporary power go so that he could pass through suffering to redeem you. In defeating temptation, he was sacrificing his own immediate comfort and need. For what? So that he could later suffer a horrible death. So he, he defeated this temptation to keep himself pure so that he would be a ready and worthy sacrifice. And he knew that it was going to be horrible. But he also knew that it would be meaningful and not meaningless. Meaningful because he was ready. He was pure. He was ready to pay the price for you. What does he ask? He asks that you believe and follow. This is the gospel. His life for our sin. His purity for us. Jesus defeated temptation so that you can have the power over sin. So we see how he defeated temptation by the scripture. We see that he defeated temptation to prepare himself to be the sacrifice. And now we look at the fact that he defeated temptation so that we actually can have power over sin. Jesus talked about slavery and freedom. In John 8, uh, that amazing chapter where he declares himself eternal, before Abraham was, I am. But shortly before that, he says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. And then he says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. What's he talking about? He's saying that he's not only broken the consequences of sin by paying for your sin with his death. That's what I meant in the last point, that he brings us this salvation. He pays for our punishment. But it's more than that. It's more than that because he's saying that you're no longer captive to sin, that you can be freed from it, that you can say no to it as he did. God promises believers in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. What a promise this is. It doesn't make it easy though, does it? We see from the very beginning, we see God warning Cain. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is one of the very first things that God says to people. The first person who was naturally born, Cain, and God's telling him, sin is after you. It's coming for you. You have to be on your guard, and you have to say no to it. Paul says in Romans 7, Paul, the apostle, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Even Paul, the great theologian, the great evangelist, struggled with sin. To be a Christian is to struggle with sin. But to be lost is to give up and be its slave. The ultimate end for the unbeliever is surrender to sin and death. But the ultimate end for a Christian will be victory over sin through Jesus and life eternal pure, and free in the presence of God. That is the promise that we can have freedom, freedom from our sin, freedom for good works that God has prepared for us. So we see that Jesus has defeated temptation so that we can have our power over sin. And this promise is worth repeating. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out you may be able to bear it. Lean on that. 
That is an amazing promise. But when you fall, because you will, lean on God's promise from 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Resist temptation. Trust that God will give you the strength. Ask God to make you stronger and stronger as you grow in Him. But don't give up when you fall. Confess, accept His forgiveness, and walk again. I want to conclude today with just a few few words here. Jesus defeated temptation by relying on God's Word. He showed us by His example that we can trust God's Word in any and all times. Jesus defeated temptation to be the perfect sacrifice for us. This is the gospel. His life for yours. His righteousness traded for your sin. He gave up his rights, his freedom, his privilege, so that you could go from being a condemned rebel to being an adopted son or daughter. All he asks is that you trust him, walk with him, worship him. If you've come to him and trusted him, then he defeated temptation so that you can have power over sin, freedom from the slavery of sin, freedom to walk in dignity before God as his child, freedom from fear of judgment and punishment, because you can now know his favor. But if you haven't trusted him, I would invite you. Will you trust him for your salvation? That's what he wants. He wants to be believed. He wants to be trusted. Will you trust him for power over sin? Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you. Father, I pray for all the people that are that are listening to this right now. Hard for me even to imagine. But Father, you've given us the pools these blessings to reach to reach out even though we can't meet face to face at this time. Father, I pray for each person who's listening that you'll touch their hearts and that you'll you'll give them confidence to withstand temptation, to lean on you for support when they're feeling tempted. And Father, for the ones who have not come to know you, I pray, Father, that you will reveal yourselves to them. Reveal yourself to them so they can come and trust you. I pray that they will They will believe that you came to die in our place, to pay the price for us, to make the best deal we could have ever had, our sin for your righteousness. Father, please bless us as we go today. Several times in the Sunday school lesson and in Brother Ken's sermon, uh, there was a talk of quoting Scripture. And uh, we, we, uh, we saw that Satan knows Scripture, and uh, Jesus obviously knows Scripture. And uh, a bit ruefully, we mentioned in Sunday school that sometimes Satan knows Scripture better than believers know Scripture. But in my reading yesterday, uh, I was reading Psalm 91, and while I was reading Psalm 91, I realized, oh, this is the passage that, that Satan quoted and then Jesus quoted as well. And as, as I was reading the passage, I, I recognized that this psalm, Psalm 91, is a great psalm for anybody who fears pestilence or plague. So I would like to pray this uh, over all of us as our benediction today. And so, Psalm 91, hear the word of the Lord. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, 
my God in whom I trust. He himself will rescue from the bird trap, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go in peace.